Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Betsy and I'm an alcoholic. Everybody, I'm going to stand because I talk with my hands. If I sit, y'all can. Plus, I have to see. Happy birthday. Caroline was my first sponsor in my real recovery. I did my very first fifth step that I'd ever done in my life with Caroline. I still remember that vividly. I don't know if you remember, but I remember it. <laughs> and I remember we were sitting at Old Mexico, and it was downtown one day, and I was talking to her about a life situation I had. And... um you never know what you say in this program that people are going to remember, but we were sitting there, you probably don't remember this, but we were sitting there having lunch, and I was telling her about this life relationship situation, and she looked at me, and she said, nothing good can come of that, and that's all she said, and, and but I remembered what she said, and I listened to her. I'm not, I hadn't been real good about listening to folks, but I listened to her, and um, she didn't tell me what to do. You said nothing good can come of this. And I said, okay. Um, and I appreciate that. I really do. So, um, and I see some of, um, I'm looking around. I'm just so glad to be back. Um, see a lot of familiar faces, people I love. And I'm seeing some, um, donated furniture that I, <laughs> you guys take such good care of things. They're all Margaret sitting in one of them. <laughs> uh, take such good care of stuff. But this, this is a timeless group. I walk in here and I left seven years ago and it's, feels like I have just not been gone but three days. Um, I, um, I'm going to tell you what I was like, what happened to me, and what I'm like now. Uh, I usually try and spend about a third, a third, and a third on um, kind of my story. To me, it's important to tell you what I was like so you get to know me a little bit better. Um, for a lot of us, our drinking is very have very similar stories. We do different things, but... Um, you know, the, the before part, kind of growing up, that's different for everybody. I hear all kinds of things. So that just get that lets you know kind of who I am. And at the end of this, you'll know all about me. And, you know, I want to know about you, but I'll have to wait to hear you speak. Um, my sobriety date is October 21st, 2002. I have a home group called Step. I have a sponsor, Lou. Um I use my sponsor. Never done that before. Um, I have sponsees who I talk to. Some on a regular basis. Some are regular attendees of meetings and some aren't. Um, my, uh, my story starts, I, you know, I grew up in, um, I was born in Denver, Colorado, but I grew up in, pretty much grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, my dad was in retailing. He worked for a real nice department store. My mom uh, was Kind of an education. She did some substitute teaching, but she really was her, her profession later on that she went back to when we were getting a little bit older was banking. Um, my dad's father died of cirrhosis at age 45. He was a pharmacist. He died of cirrhosis. They lived in New Jersey. Um, there's... Um, as far as the family history, everybody was real quiet about who was an alcoholic, but I knew for sure that my paternal grandfather was. Um, 
my dad was an alcoholic, and I can say that because he actually had 90 days of sobriety at one point in his life. And that was the most he ever had. Um, uh, I have two brothers. I'm one a year older and one two years younger. I'm the only one that was been blessed with this disease. Um, neither one of my brothers has it. Um, and we all have kids, and we all are watching our kids. I just watch my, I have four girls, and I watch them. Um, they're 19, 21, 22, 23. Not one of them to date, to, as of this day, is drinking the way I drank <coughs> when I was their age. Not one. Now, why they're not, I don't know. I mean, I'm still watching to pick out which one or two <laughs> has the disease because, you know, I have it. Um, now, they may, none, none of them may. I don't know. But I just watch them. Um, Nothing I can do about it if they do. They know where to go to get help if they ever get in trouble with this disease. So I grew up in Lancaster. We had a very, um, uh, I had what I would consider a very happy childhood. I have a lot of good memories of my childhood. I cannot blame any of my drinking on what happened to me when I was a kid. Um, my uh, dad's drinking was not real bad until I got to be about in high school. Um, the uh so there were not there was not a lot of chaos in the house when I was younger. Um, I never until I came into AA I never really thought that I felt differently from the other kids, but looking back on it, um, I, I did feel differently. But if you'd asked me that at the time I would wouldn't have any clue what you're talking about. Um I do remember when I was in seventh grade and my best friend that when I went over the day after Christmas and she had a pile of stuff that she'd gotten ice skates and a new ski jacket and and you know her dad made a lot more money than my dad did and of course I was so self-centered I didn't even think about all that I went home in tears because Lisa had gotten all this stuff and my mother took me out the next day and we went shopping and years later, she told me, she said, I never should have done that. She said, that was my mistake. And she said, we were even going shopping, and I thought, this is a mistake. I shouldn't be doing this. But I got ice skates, and I spent their money that they didn't really have extra anything extra at Christmas. Um, I remember that because if you'd asked me if I was, when I was 12 or 13, if I was selfish, I would have I said no. If you asked me later on, I would have said, I'm not selfish. I will. I'm the most giving person there is. Well, little things like that creep in. Mac always says, more will be revealed. I think about episodes like that that happened when I was a kid. Um, I felt less than because she got more for Christmas than I did. Things like that happened. But anyway, high school was fairly uneventful for me. I, I played sports. I was real good in school. I studied hard. My insecurities would I would try to do everything as to, to just the best I wanted I needed to be you know I had to get an A I had to be I played basketball you know I didn't necessarily have to be the high scorer but I had to be the one that they said that was a great game you know even if the team lost <laughs> um, so you know I went through high school I was fairly um, I think I was pretty stable and steady then, but I, I had a lot of alcoholic behavior, and I hadn't picked up a drink yet. Um, I had 
I don't really consider that I was an egomaniac, but um, I, I everything in my world was centered around me. So so I was, um, and I just didn't feel good enough. It didn't matter what I accomplished. I felt that there was one thing more I had to do to feel better. My first drink, I was 17. We were at the shore for the summer, and um, I was there with my chemistry teacher and his wife and a couple other people, and um, they said, do you want a drink? Well, drinking age was 18 in Jersey, and I was 17, and I looked 18. They didn't card. Um, so they went and got me a whiskey sour, and that was my first drink. Um, and it was magic. It was I looked, I mean, I remember looking up and they had music and the, all the colored lights that were in this restaurant on the shore, they all had this halo around them and I felt warm and fuzzy and, and I, I didn't like to dance, but I got out there and danced <laughs> because I didn't just have one, I had two. That was my first time I ever drank. Um, so, my drinking really took off. I left Pennsylvania, went to North Carolina to college, and I, pretty much for my freshman year, I didn't drink a whole lot, um, but my drinking really picked up toward the end of my freshman year, beginning of my sophomore year in college, and this is why I watch my girls so closely. Um, it, it, it wasn't being away from home. It was because alcohol made me feel better. That's why I drank. Always, every time, it made me feel better. I never again, since I was 17 years old, had that feeling I had the first time I drank. And I chased that for years and years and years. But I never felt that good again. Um, my, uh, my, my drinking got to the point that I can, I, I know for sure with nine months into my my freshman year, I had my first blackout, didn't know what it was. I thought everybody just kind of didn't remember what they did the night before. Um, and I didn't know it was called a blackout. I just knew that I was missing a big chunk of the evening. And um, I woke up in my dorm room and there was a <laughs> empty box of Triscuits next to me. So apparently I got back from the party and I was hungry and it had been full. I mean, that's a lot of Triscuits. <laughs> anyway, um, and I and it was a blackout because I don't remember getting home and I don't remember eating a box of Triscuits, but I did. Um, I had friends that told me in college they were concerned about my drinking. So uh, this was ages, you know, 19 to 22. People were concerned about it. And um, and I knew I drank abnormally. I drank alone. By my senior year, I was had a bottle of Jack Daniels in my dorm room, and I had a single. So I could drink by myself whenever I wanted to. Um, but, and I look back on this, and this is God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I ended up, um, I have always wanted to be a physician, and that was my goal. And how... I mean, I was drinking intermittently. I was binge drinking throughout college. Um, but I managed to make it to class. I managed to study. I managed to get good grades, decent grades. Um, and I don't know how I did that. I guess that I hadn't, I, I was maintaining some kind of period, some periods of sobriety somewhere in between the drinking. I had to or, or, or 
and and God, yeah, I think God was helping me too. But anyway, good enough grades, I got into med school. And um, the uh, the next four years were I didn't have a lot of free time. I did not have time to drink the way I wanted to, but that was that was okay. It was a kind of put the stop, kind of put the brakes on my drinking for a while because even Friday and Saturday night, a lot of times we would be on call in the hospital. Um, but when I when we would have parties in med school, I was always the one. There were a couple of us in the class. Be interesting to know who's in AA now. But there were a couple of us who would would. You know, we'd be the ones. You could count on us to need a ride home. You know, I tried not really hard not to pass out at the parties because that's really embarrassing. So I try and get out of there before I passed out. But, you know, always needed a ride home, always drank too much, and always said, where are we going next? You know, the night's not over. Um, at the end of medical school, three of my friends sat me down in my apartment and said, um, we think that you need to go to treatment. And I said, you know what, I am, I'm going to San Antonio. And um, I promise you, I'm such a manipulator, I promise you that I will cut down on my drinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I did. I did for about two weeks. <laughs> um, so what, what, the important part of my story, because I really want to get to this part, because I have two what happened what it used to be like, what happened, what it's like. Now, I have two of, two, two of those stories, and to me, the second part is more important. But it ended up happening, I was in, I had an Air I went to an Air Force hospital in San Antonio, and they decided that I needed to, at age 29, they decided that I had probably had enough alcohol and needed to go to treatment. I showed up in the hospital one day, and I fortunately wasn't doing anything with a patient, but somebody, and the nurse reported me, she could smell alcohol in my breath, and Next thing I know, I'm on a plane to Wichita Falls, Texas. And um, 28 days, this is back in 1986, so had I stayed sober, I would have more sobriety than Mac, which still grates me to this day, but um, that's not my story. So I went to treatment in 1986, and I came back, and I promptly did everything they told me to do. I went to AA in San Antonio. Um, I got a sponsor. I started working on the steps. One, two, and three, one, two, and three, one, two, and three. Um, I kept getting stuck. But I went to a lot of meetings. I was still real busy. I was in my residency, and I'm a general surgeon, so I had a five-year residency program. So I went to treatment at the end of my third year of residency, and they let me back in the residency program, and I finished out my last two years, and I was sober. And um, it was such a blessing, but I had um, I had a lot of catching up to do. I had I had to learn everything I needed for those two years, but I had to kind of go back and learn what I needed to learn from the three years previously when I had been, you know, intermittently drinking. My dad died during this time that I was in residency. I picked up my 90-day chip, and he died the next day. So I was sober when my dad died. Um, what happened to me over the next... Um, so I, So I'm sober now. I feel good. Um, I loved AA, absolutely loved it. I had a great sponsor, and I started working the steps, and she tried to get me to do my fourth step, and I just could not do it. This is a real important point for anybody who's new in the program or if they're struggling with their fourth step. I had a legal pad, 
and a pen, and I put it on my desk in my apartment, and that was my four-step pad. And when I left San Antonio in 1988, that pad was still blank. Not written one word down. Um, and what happened over the next ten years is um, a mixture of God b- continuing to bless me with some good things in my life, but me struggling at the same time. <coughs> I went to Germany for two years, met my now ex-husband, but met my husband. Uh, Germany for two years, Valdosta for two years, and then you follow. And I moved here in 1993. I had not had a drink in seven years. I wasn't going to meetings. Didn't have a sponsor. Wasn't reading the big book. I was just not drinking. That's a very painful way to live as an alcoholic. Very painful. It's always in a dry drunk. Um, I ha- I have four girls, and I was pregnant. I mean, I had them all right in a row. So I... You know, those were some great years as far as blessings, but I was just really miserable on the inside, tried not to show it on the outside. And I didn't know why I was miserable. I didn't know why I was miserable. So, um, when I, when I moved here, I set up my practice and because I was so crazy, you know, I got divorced in 96, but it was all his fault. And, you know, some of you know my ex-husband and he, he's really, He's not a bad guy, but I probably made him out to seem a lot worse than he really was. But, well, you know, we, we, we were not meant to continue our life together. That's the bottom line. But what I learned in here is, you know, I had a huge part in that, too. And I did not. I mean, I didn't really want to look at that, but, but I did. I did. Um, we got divorced in 96, and then... And this is important too, because this seems to, I was telling Gary on the way down here, this seems to be coming up a lot, is, um, you know, I drank and then I, it's not coming up for me, but it's coming up in some of the folks around us. I drank and then, um, now I'm not drinking, okay, I've been to AA, I'm, and then I'm getting sicker and sicker. Well, pain medicine is very dangerous. For an alcoholic, because I needed a couple of little minor surgery procedures, and you know, I took that pain medicine. It's like, wow, I felt that that marshmallowy feeling. Like all of a sudden, everything that was wrong in my life didn't seem quite so bad, and um, what happened over a Period of a few years, I I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going out and seeking it, but if I got it, boy, that was good. Um, and I had to be really careful when I came back in this program. Um, I didn't do anything illegal to get any narcotics. It was just I'd have a procedure and I always needed a refill, okay? But... You know, they get kind of nervous when you have a physician talking about narcotics. But, you know, I didn't I didn't write it in some patient's name and go fill. I didn't do anything. I didn't steal it from anybody. But I sure needed a lot of little minor surgery procedures. <laughs> <laughs> and dang, if I didn't always need a refill, and then I needed another refill. So I would just take them while I, when I could. But I'm an alcoholic. So 
you know, what am I going to do? Well, I got a little nervous about, I said, if they ever drug test me, I don't have a prescription for every one of these. I don't, you know. Um, we used to get samples in the office. Now, I think that's probably illegal, but I don't think they can put you in jail for that. But I would take my own samples. They don't do that anymore, so don't anybody go rushing off to your doctor's <laughs> office. We don't get samples. But we used to get narcotic samples. So I would, you know, leave two of them in the cabinet, and I would take the rest of the box. Um, and I thought, if they drug test me, I, you know, I'm going to test positive. So it made me very nervous. But what taking those narcotics did for me over a short period of time is it kicked my monster. I woke up my disease, and my drug of choice is alcohol. So I said, well, okay, I got this. I'm going to put these away, and not I'm not going to do this anymore because I was really scared. I didn't want to get busted. But alcohol is legal, and it's been 12 years since I had a drink, and I'll bet you that... And I remember saying this to myself. I said, I'll bet you I could drink now because I learned all that stuff in AA. And I'll bet that since it's been so long, I'll be okay. <coughs> and that's the, that's the disease just sitting right here. And I'm agreeing with it. <coughs> I didn't have, I hadn't been to AA. I didn't have a little person over here saying, that is the most foolish thing I've ever heard of. I didn't have a little AA voice over here telling me that that's kind of ridiculous. So, I ended up drinking, actually my first drink was in Dothan at a restaurant, and I drank, and it scared me so much that first night, I only had two glasses of wine, but, I mean, I was wide awake. As soon as I, that very first night I drank, and I didn't drink alcoholically the first night, but it the obsession started that night. I could not stop thinking about alcohol. Now, I didn't drink again for, and it scared me so much, it was like a week or two. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like I went a whole year. And, you know, I, I think I went a week or two before I drank again. But I thought about it 24-7 as soon as I ingested that alcohol. So my sequence was dabbling with narcotics when I could get them, which woke up my monster, to picking up my drug of choice. And I drank for four years, a little over four years. And, uh, you know, I lived right over there. I, I could walk to this meeting. And I remember driving to Dothan, and I would pass the little AA sign. <laughs> and I, I mean, I got to the point where I wouldn't look at it. <laughs> because, um, I, you know, I don't know why I couldn't just walk into a meeting. Because the disease was stronger than that at that point. The disease was stronger. And I was trying to hide it. The girls were young. I was trying to take care of them, trying to run my practice, uh, trying to get enough sleep, trying to, you know, I'm on call, so I have to be real careful. I can't drink on call. Um, you know, I had all these rules, but, and I kept trying to control it because in a relapse, um, I'm, I mean, I know all these things y'all said in here, and so I would mark the bottle and say, I'm only, I would mark it with a, with a permanent marker. I'm going to drink from here to here tonight. Okay? Well, you know how long that lasts. About 20 minutes. So, um, within a short period of time, I was, on the nights I wasn't on call, and especially if my girls were, and their dad had moved to Florida, when they were gone, 
I would, I lived over in CCA, I would, I would close the garage door and I would pull all the curtains and turn the lights out and I would lock the doors and I'd make sure I had plenty and I would hole up in there for the weekend and uh, I would make a list of all the things I was going to do that weekend. You know, I had my list. You know, I'm, I'm going to do things around the house. <laughs> and Sunday night would come around and I had not left the house and I had not done one dang thing on that list. I just sat and I drank. And I, my, my relapse was very, very isolated. I didn't go out. I didn't go party with people. There were a few people in town. The administrator at the hospital knew that I had been in recovery, but I don't think he really cared. And he didn't know that I wasn't supposed to drink. And, I, you know, I moved here. I didn't know anybody. What a great place to come to. You know, nobody knows me. Um, but, you know, it, I think it became pretty evident in short order that I didn't drink normally to the people who knew me. So then I would just, no, I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't go out. Um, anyway, by God's grace, I got busted again. And um, I am so blessed that nothing bad happened to get me back in recovery. Though what happened is they called me in the middle of the night, and I had forgotten I was on call, and I'd been drinking that night. And I just didn't answer the phone. I mean, of all the possible things that could happen to me, I can't think of anything that would be a better way to shake me up without harming anybody. And um, that was in October. Actually, the day was October 20th, 2002. It was a Monday. And that morning they called me and they wanted a blood test. And I did it. And I was point eight seven. Which doesn't sound too terrible, but it's eight o'clock in the morning. And I had just driven my four daughters to school. Okay. Anyway, that was in the morning. So the afternoon, um, DHR, is that what you call around here? DHR called me. Your ex-husband has called us and we were opening an investigation because he says his four children are living with an alcoholic mother. That was in the afternoon. Same day. Um, I came home that night and I said, well, I said a prayer, but I didn't know it was a prayer. I sat at my desk in the office and I said, my world is falling apart that afternoon. I drove home and I stopped at that Exxon down there on the corner. I was so scared I was going to have a seizure. I bought a Mike's Hard Lemonade and I drove my car around by the dumpster on the side. And I sat in my car and I drank that Mike's Hard Lemonade and I said, please, I don't want to go to detox. Please let this be the thing that keeps me from having a seizure tonight. That's all I said. And I drank that Mike's Hard Lemonade. I threw it in the dumpster and I drove home. Now, to date, that has been my last drink as of till today. And I didn't have a seizure. I don't know how I didn't have a seizure, but I didn't. Um, and that started my journey, which is, this is really the important part of my story, is that um, October 21st, 2002, um, was the first day I had, did not have a drink. <laughs> I drank on the 20th. So my first day without a drink is the 22nd. Um, my life, I thought it was coming to an end. I thought my life, I said, everything's just, it's just everything swirling right down the drain. My, my kids, 
my, you know, I have an investigation. Now they busted me at work. I didn't know what was going to happen. <clears throat> but I, uh, I'm not very honest. I'm better today. <laughs> but so I've told you about two things that happened in the same day. And if I could go back and do anything differently now, what I would do is I would let the two entities know about each other. Okay? I got busted at work, so now um, the Alabama Physician Health Program knows about me. And in the afternoon, I've got an ex-husband who's filed an investigation. He's trying to get custody of my children. I never told either... I never told them in the hospital that I was going to have a custody battle, and I never told the attorneys with the custody battle that I'd gotten busted at work. So I'm trying to manipulate and manage these two huge events in my life, keeping them separate, you know, keeping one in one corner, one in the other, and I'm in the middle, and I'm getting beat up. Um, I don't know to this day whether whether they found out about each other, but I'm sure they did. <laughs> but I like to think that they did. And anyway, I ended up with a uh, custody hearing here in Eufaula um, two days before Christmas. So I'm not drinking. I have not walked through that door. I'm just crazy. So I'm not drinking, having recently relapsed for four and a half years. I'm so scared I'm going to lose my girls. And... um and the Alabama Physician Health Program's telling me I need to go to treatment. Well, I need to go for an evaluation. <laughs> um, and I keep telling them I can't go right now. I kept telling the physician board I can't go right, and I did never told him why. I never told him I can't go right now because I have a court date for custody of my kids. I didn't want him to think I was worse than I was. <laughs> you know. But, so if I had just told him. Anyway, I ended up going to treatment in January, and they didn't believe me when I got to treatment when they asked me what my last drink was. I said it was in October. That None of them believed me. Because <laughs> you just don't walk into treatment having your last drink three months before that, but it was true. Now, it doesn't really matter when my last drink was. I was, I was just so sick. I was very sick. I was an alcoholic with no booze. No booze and no program. So it all worked out. I re retained custody of my children. I went to treatment, and I was so sick then. They after three, oh, I had it all planned out three days, and then I got cases scheduled for Friday. So I'm going to go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I know what to say. I've done this before. <laughs> I'll be back by Friday. And they told me Wednesday afternoon. They said um, your counselors all met, and we'll we'll see. You're coming back for a month of inpatient. What? Anyway, I cried from Birmingham to Ufalish. Three hours, I cried. And in that drive, I think, is when I did my second and third step. I'd already done the first step. I knew. I knew I was powerless, and I knew my life was unmanageable. But in that drive, it was raining that night. I'll never forget it. It was raining, and there was more water on the inside of the vehicle than there was on the outside because I cried. I mean, I went, there was a whole box of Kleenex and I just cried and I said, by the time I got back to Birmingham a couple of days later, I had to get somebody to take care of my girls while I was gone. By the time I got back to Birmingham, I was ready to go. Let's just, I just, I have got to get better. I didn't want to die 
and I just could not keep living the way I was living. I felt, um, well, I didn't feel. I had, there was nothing left inside of me. And when I got there, they said, um, normally with physicians, it takes five weeks to break through the denial. Five weeks, we say, I'm fine. I'm not an alcoholic. Um, they didn't have to do that with me. When I got back there, I was re- I said, I, just, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I was really at the point, if I lost my license and if I lost my girls, that's what was going to happen. I mean, I, I, I wasn't okay with it, but I said, I will do whatever you tell me to do. And if those two things happen, well, I'll just go from there. You know, I'll just do what I need to do. Um, and I came back. After three months, so this went from three days to a month to three months, but I didn't know that that's required of us to do that. And I uh, came back and asked Caroline to be my sponsor, and I showed up here. And I remember walking in. I walked in. I don't think I was out of treatment yet, but I, they let me out for the weekend. And I walked in the door, and Margaret was sitting over here. And I thought she was going to say, we've been expecting you. <laughs> But she didn't say that. She said, it's so good to see you. I I still remember that. I was still in treatment then. It's so good to see you. And and I was like, I was home. So, um, anyway, the next, um, so I, I picked up, I have 11 years. And over the last 11 years, um, I've had, um, a lot of ups and downs. I've had many, many more good things happen in my life in the last 11 years than bad things. And the bad things that happened, I didn't have to pick up a drink. Um, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. This last 11 years is the happiest period I, I can, bar none. I mean, it doesn't come close to anything else I've had in my life. Um, I was here, I was sober three years and the hospital decided they were going to get rid of all the physicians in town, uh, all the ones that were employed. There were six of us, and we all, it was, it's not who owns the hospital now, but anyway, they, they decided they weren't going to renew anybody's contract, and there were six physicians and a nurse practitioner, and we were all looking for a job. Um, that was the year the hospital almost closed, because once we all left, um, they, they really didn't have much, a whole lot of business, but... Um, I had to start looking. I, I couldn't really stay here because you have to, um, there's, a, there's a, some legal and financial things that go into that. When you go from working salaried, employed with a hospital to your own practice, there's some, there's a lot of things the federal government tells you. So I could have done it. It would have cost me too much money. And I had four girls to get through college. So anyway, I ended up in Phoenix City and, um, my girls decided they were going to go live with their dad in Florida. And when I moved in 2006, they were 12, 14, 15, 16. And I cried. I sat, I sat right on that sofa and cried. They were all, they didn't want to go to Phoenix City. They loved me. They were glad I was sober. But they wanted to go to Florida to high school. And it, and for a mother, that's like the, probably the worst thing that can happen in your kids' growing up years. But 
Um, and when I moved from here, I was so scared I was going to get up there and be by myself. I haven't been by myself in a long time that um, I was going to drink. I said, there is nobody in that house watching me. So what I did was I went to a meeting. First day I got there, went to a meeting. Second day, went to a meeting. Third day, went to a meeting. Didn't know anybody, and uh, Lou and Wes are the only two people I knew up there, and they used to come down here to the birthday meeting once a month, and um, and uh, I dove into recovery, not because I was, I'm, I'm such a shining example of recovery, but I, I dove into it because I was so scared I was going to drink. I was scared that I would be driving home from work one night, and the girls wouldn't be there, and I was going to say, you know what, that marathon market's right there on the corner. I, you know, maybe not going to Publix because I might see somebody, but just driving by, you know, they keep all kinds of stuff at the convenience stores, and I'm way out there, nobody would know. I was so scared I was going to do that, that um, I just went to, I went to a bunch of meetings. I called Caroline for the first three months, and then I said, well, I probably need to get a sponsor up here because I could tell her on the phone, I'm doing fine. <laughs> but, yeah, but you know, you, you can't tell over the phone. So I, I, I got a sponsor, lose my sponsor. And um, I survived the girls not living with me while they were in high school. And, you know, they didn't leave because I was drinking. And, and I'm, but I, you know, I'm looking back on it. I'm thinking they, they didn't choose their dad over me, and they told me that many times. <clears throat> the honest truth is, they went because they wanted to go somewhere new. They wanted Florida sounds a whole lot better than you follow. We're gonna, we're going to high school in Florida, and it's you know, 40 minutes from Disney World. Um, and I think that it was really important for them to spend some time with their dad. They were toddlers when we got divorced, and they had not spent much time with him, except for fun summers. And I thought, well, good, he can help them do their homework. <laughs> he can do all that carting around to practice and games and all that. And um, and I think it was really good for those four girls to spend some time with their dad. As much as it hurt me, I didn't like. I will tell you to this day, I did not like it. I was not happy about it, but I accepted it. Um. So, you know, and I had to really deal with that for a couple of years after I moved up there. Um, and then they started going off. Then they started leaving Florida and going off to college. And then that, and that was fine. <laughs> but um, today, um, my, like I said, there's been, been a lot of ups and downs, and the, and the ups are wonderful. I have made it through. I'm telling you about some of the things that can happen in sobriety that um, I had a fear of drinking when that happened with the girls. Recently, I started dating a guy in the program about a year ago, and um, we got engaged January 17th. Um, January 26th, he picked up a drink. And I have always been the one in the hot seat. <laughs> I have always been the one people are saying, you know, we need to, we need, you need to get some help. We need to get you in treatment. Uh, I've always been the one that people were saying, well, you know, we, you know, you need to get sober. 
all of my life. I've never been in a relationship where I was the one watching this disease and somebody I care about um, and watching it take over. And, you know, for some of us, success is not a good thing. For some of us, um, seemingly happy things, good things in our life. I mean, some of us just don't handle those. I handle it just fine. I like happy things. I, I, I think I have gratitude when good things happen. I don't take credit for it. I'll take a little bit of credit if I do some work. But, you know, mostly it's God taking care of me, putting the right things in front of me. That's usually how it goes. I'm really not that responsible for it. But I do have to do some work, too. But, you know, what happened is, uh, I don't know what happened. This is, this, the, the disease is, um, can start with something really small, like, um, stress over the business isn't, it's not as busy as we want it to be. A little bit of stress. Um, it can start with taking a medication. And I'm not gonna tell, you know, his story is his to tell whenever he can. Hopefully he'll be able to tell his story at some point in time. I don't know. But um, it can be taking a medication like the way we like to take them. Like one's good, six is great. Twelve is even better. That's how we take medicines that make us feel differently. Um, so what I watched over the course of a couple of weeks, and this is, it, it was devastating. It was it shocked me. I I kept thinking why, and then I thought, you know why? I mean, the disease is always there. And there's not it doesn't have to be a reason. There is no why. There's no particular reason why he relapsed. But what I watched was, and Gary watched it too. Um, what I watched was a. Um, this wasn't a slow circling the drain. This was very fast, a very fast decline. Emotionally, physically, spiritually. Um, and I had to, and it was multiple drugs, which, uh, you know, I learned more about some street drugs in the last two months than I've ever known before. Um, probably more than I wanted to know, but I think I needed to get some information on kind of what was going on. So, multiple drugs and alcohol and um because I couldn't figure out why the behavior was as strange as it was, and I couldn't smell anything. I said, there's got to be something going, no, 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 you know, the denial and all that. But I can look back now, and I can see some changes that started way, like two or three months before the actual pickup. And... um I think that that's beneficial to me to, I don't know, you know, I, I never, I haven't blamed myself for this. I don't think it's my fault. I think that um, I just did, for a couple of weeks there, I was just numb. I was completely numb. It's like, I, I, I know that this just happened. I know it's not a dream. And then all I had to do was um, take care of myself. And so, what I did was, the morning I confronted him, and he said he had relapsed, or he, he said I picked up a drink, and I said, okay, and I was mad. And I left, and I was working down here. As soon as I got in my car, heading from Phoenix City to Ufa, I picked up the phone, and I called my sponsor. I told her what happened, 
and we talked till I pulled in the parking lot at the hospital here. We talked the whole time. And, uh, and I went to at least one meeting every day, and many days I went to two. And, um, I had, I have a very small group of friends that I trust with my intimate things, and Gary's one of them. I had about five friends that, um, now you gotta remember this guy was in AA, so I, I keep my mouth shut. It's not my business to tell what's going on with him. And I didn't. I have a small group. I had, I had to talk about it, so I had a small group that I trust that I knew none of that would get out to anybody else what was going on, because he just disappeared from the meetings. People would say, where is so-and-so? And I'd say, I don't know, probably at work. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know where he was. Um, so I kept my mouth shut, except to my small group of friends, and I went to a lot of meetings. And then I waited for the emotions to hit. I said, I know this is coming. And, uh, and they did. I didn't, never one second thought that a drink would make it any better. Not for one second. Um, and it, yeah, so that's, a, that's some emotional pain. But today, so this all happened the end of January. So, um, today, um, I feel 95% back to normal, whatever that is, whatever we, whatever normal is for us. <laughs> um, I feel happy. I feel grateful that I didn't pick up a drink. My girls were very supportive. I told them what was going on. I did not tell them there were drugs involved. I just said he relapsed. I didn't, didn't. Because, um, you know, the police get involved when there's illegal substances and, and they, and they, the police have been involved. So I think they were more worried for me, not really that I was going to pick up a drink, but that something bad was going to happen either with the law, you know. I didn't know what was in my car. I mean, I was kind of assuming nothing was in my car, but you don't know that. I don't really know. Anyway, um, but I have, I'll tell you what, when something like that happens, your friends in AA will come out of the woodwork. And I'm telling you what, they surrounded me. They just formed a little group around me and just wouldn't leave me alone. But that's, that's fine. Gary, he texts me all day long. How you doing? I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> um, but they checked on me. They called me. They texted me. They talked to me at meetings. I talked to my. I have still not gone a day without talking to my sponsor since February third. Um, and I, I don't know what I would do without her. In the meantime, she has lost her husband, and it's important for. They were married sixty-two years. He had forty years in recovery, forty years sober. She has thirty-seven, and we are good for each other. She knows I'm a caller every day, and she needs that phone call as much as I need her. So, um, you know, today I'm I'm just I'm so blessed. I have I didn't really want to leave you, Fala. Margaret will tell you that too. Do you remember that when I was crying in here? And she said, <coughs> she said I was crying. I said they they're not going to renew our contracts, and I have to go find a job. And and she said. It's going to be okay. You can cry if you want to, but something better is down the road. Now, of course, that's not really what I wanted to hear at the time. I do remember that you said that, but I, I was into my self-pity crying mode. I had to, you know, I just sit in that for a couple of days. But you said that, and I remember that you said that. 
And you were right. You know, I, um, I love coming back down here. Come down one day. I missed it. I mean, I was gone three years and I, 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 I said, I, I'll have need to get back to you, Paula. So I come down one day a week. Um, I'm still taking care of my girls and, um, they're older now, but I am just have been so blessed. Um, and I, but I also know that everything that I have, if I don't stay sober and don't stay right in the middle of this program, it will be gone. And so, um, I am really grateful to be here. I hadn't planned to speak tonight. Thank you, Mac. But, um, but I, and I tried to focus on my relapse because for anybody who's got any length of sobriety, um, it's, uh, it's, it, it's there. And I know that my disease is just waiting for me, you know, to just get a little lax on my meeting. So I'm, I, I try and stay in the middle of, the promises say we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. When I tell you my story and I bring up all those things that happen and I have to say them out loud, it is so good for my recovery that I, you know, I have to say it again. I got to remember all that stuff. Um, so I'm grateful to be here and I thank you all for listening and I'll sit down. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.